Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. This is Where We Live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbathanchel, broadcasting remotely. Have you reached that point yet when it feels like you've been working from home much longer than three months? Connecticut companies had to adapt pretty quickly when the state shut down, but now that it's slowly reopening, what does that mean for the future of work? Today, where we live, we close out our week-long series by focusing on work-life balance. With public health experts warning Americans to brace for a second wave of coronavirus infections later this fall, will working from home become the routine for many of Connecticut's office workers? If so, are you worried how you'll separate your work life from your personal life? People really need training themselves on how to unplug that the employee themselves You know, their desk, per se, may very well also be their kitchen table. And we're not used to folding up our office and putting it somewhere else in another place in our house. So we can now return to our house being our house. That was David Lewis, CEO of HR Consulting Company and Connecticut Operations, Inc., in conversation with us on Monday. Now, we want to hear from you this hour. Do you miss the defined separation between your office and your home? Will working from home be sustainable for you and your family in the long run? Join the conversation. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Dan writes to us on Twitter, benefits of working from home, dinner with family every night, no commute, better snacks. Downsides, always on, hard to set limits. And I miss interacting with my colleagues and bouncing ideas off them. Dan, me too. Uh, Joining us now uh, by Zoom is our first guest, Kate Lister. She's president of Global Workplace Analytics. It's a research-based workplace consulting firm. Kate, welcome to our show. Good morning. Thank you, Lucy. So you recently did a global work from home experience survey. Tell us about some of the questions you asked office workers and what did you find? We just couldn't miss the opportunity to see what was going on out there right now. Uh, We're kind of data nuts. And so we wanted to see what's working, what isn't working, who's doing it, how many are doing it, and most importantly, how many want to continue to do it. And so what, how many people did you survey? What did they tell you? Uh, it was about 2,800 people took the uh, survey across the globe, and we parsed it by country. Uh, about 88% of people, of office workers, are working at home right now. And 76% globally, 82% in the U.S., want to continue to do it at least once a week. And only 6% don't want to. And they're feeling pretty successful about it. More than 70% told us that, you know, they feel very or extremely successful. So really, we showed great resilience here. That's interesting. You said eight out of 10 Americans that were surveyed want work from home to continue at least once a week. Was that surprising to you? Because I imagine, or at least I if I remember correctly, the telecommuting, telework statistics for uh, workforce in general has been uh, growing, but still pretty uh, slim when you compare how many people are working in offices, Kate. 
Yeah, uh, slim, but not because employees don't want it. Uh, mm. Traditionally, over the last 10 years, we've shown that about 80% of people say that they would like to do it at least some of the time. And that's the critical part. You know, People like to make this conversation polar. You're going to be all at home or you're going to be all in the office. And the reality is the preference, and this showed in the survey too, is about half time. So you know, you've got your concentrative time at home and you've got your collaborative time at the office. That's interesting. And when you think about uh, the clients that uh, your consulting firm has, uh, helping again uh, companies think about strategies, because we've all been forced to do this now during the pandemic, are companies seeing that there are benefits to having their employees work from home at least part of the time? Very definitely. We're seeing a boost in productivity, companies saying that they've had record months so they're really seeing that there is this benefit, even even in these sort of less than ideal conditions at home, you know, with all the cacophony of sharing Internet and children at home and all of that. But even with all of that, they're showing greater productivity at home, greater work life balance. But you you nailed it earlier. You know, it really you really do have to learn how to turn it off. Overworking is the biggest problem that people have working from home. You're hearing Kate Lister again, president of Global Workplace Analytics, as we talk about the work-life balance, as many of us uh, who are, are office workers have been working from home. You can join our conversation, and maybe you've been working from home even before the pandemic. We're interested to hear your experience as well. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Jeff's calling from West Hartford. Jeff, you're on the show. Hi, how are you? Thank you so much for taking my call. Um, I heard only part of the last uh, speaker's comment because I was waiting on hold, but I think she made some excellent points. You began the segment by having that uh, HR retraining uh, individual talk about the, the, the great need for retraining to do this. Uh, I just kind of wanted to challenge that. I mean, number one, obviously, that's how he makes his money. But number two, uh, most people at many corporations, I know I, I work for a large international corporation. My employees have been doing this uh, a majority of the time for many years now. So there's really no big transition with this. And I do want to sort of dovetail on what she said about the productivity. I find that most people prefer this arrangement and most people are far more productive. Um, I know for myself, and I used to go in a bit more than my employees. Um, I'm certainly working a longer day, but I have no problem um, turning it on and off when needed. Uh, so the work-life balance, I think, has been rather seamless. I, I mean, obviously, that may depend upon the kind of job you have. Uh, but I think for most sort of, uh, you know, what we would maybe traditionally call white-collar jobs, if that's not politically incorrect uh, at this moment, uh, I think it's no problem at all. The technology is there, the motivation is there, and the productivity has been there, at least in my company. Hmm. Well, that's certainly your experience, Jeff. As you mentioned, uh, you and your colleagues have been working remotely for some time. But for people who just had to start doing it uh, mid-March, I imagine there is some transition. I can speak for myself uh, working as a in a media company where we are used to being uh, in person, in a newsroom, bouncing ideas off of our colleagues, as well as having the opportunity to talk to our guests in studio. It does take some transition. Again, we want to hear uh, the very many different perspectives of people people who've been working from home, maybe as Jeff said, you've been doing it for a while, or you just started the last three months. And you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. I wanted to go back to our guest, Kate Lister. When we think about uh, employees having to adjust, that's one thing. But what about managers, executives? Uh, how, what, have they, what do they need to learn in terms of managing remotely? 
yeah, that's the biggest area that's needed for training. This is something that with a large company, we might spend six months to a year, even a year and a half with a global company rolling out a program like this. And about 50% of that number that I mentioned earlier, the 88% of people that are working from home hadn't done it before on any kind of regular basis. So, you know, congrats to Jeff. He, he was an early adopter. <laughs> but, you know, managers are, are scared that people aren't going to be working as hard. In spite of all of the research that shows they actually work harder and productivity is higher, they don't understand managing people that they can't see. So that's natural, but you know it really does take that the kind of training to to manage by results rather than butts in seats. Hmm. Uh, we're going to be talking more about how uh, some companies are using surveillance uh, programs to check in on their workers mm-hmm. at home. That's later in our conversation. Uh, but when we again think about uh, how employees and employers have had to adjust, are work companies thinking about ways that they can now reimburse their employees for things like uh, because they're working from home longer? Is there a cost of living adjustment or even reimbursing for people for uh, the ink that they use in their printer or the fact that their electricity bill is going up? That was the question we got on Monday. Yeah, the uh, traditionally, it has not been something that companies reimburse about only about a quarter of companies uh, add any kind of stipend or home office furniture or uh, utility reimbursement. But we're seeing a bit of a change there because in the past, you know, this is something that people wanted to do It was something they chose. Now it's not something they chose. And so there, you know, the policies and the practices, again, that we would have worked with a company to to structure in normal times are now companies are stepping back and saying, oh, yeah, we need to think about these things. And we are seeing uh, stipends, you know, sending out uh, uh, computers. A typical stipend is in 500 to a thousand dollar range. But you're mentioning the uh, electricity. We did a study a few years back. Typical employee saves uh, $2,500 to $4,000 a year in not having to commute, in you know serendipity purchases, eating out, you know all those kinds of things. And the electricity we add that includes extra electricity of working from home. So you know it's a very small portion of the um, of the number, and and you know on balance it is a uh, it is a savings to employees. You can join our conversation. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. I wanted to uh, speak now to Melissa calling from West Hartford. Uh, Melissa, I understand you're uh, one of the newbies to working from home. Tell me how that's been going. I am. Yep. Um, I've been working for about a year now. In my company, we started working from home early on in COVID um, in mid-March. And I've been uh, working from home, struggling, working with myself and both of my parents all in the same house. Um, so that's been a, a bit of a challenge during this time. <laughs> so you, this is the first year that you've been working full time since college. Yep, yep. I graduated in May of 2019. So you said it can be challenging at times with mom and dad at home. So tell me a little bit more about that, Melissa. Yeah. So we kind of have <laughs> our own zones in the house. Um, we, my dad's in the basement. My mom's on the first floor, and I'm all the way upstairs. Um, and we've kind of set boundaries on when the doors close upstairs, you know, I'm in a Zoom call not to come in, not to knock, not to bother me. Um, and, and so that's been a bit of an adjustment. Do you miss having your colleagues uh, in person and again, bouncing off ideas and just having that interpersonal interaction? Oh, yeah, I, m- I miss my coworkers so much. Um, we, we try to, to Zoom call as much as we can. Um, 
you know, during lunches or happy hours, but it's, it's not the same. I miss them so much. And then moving forward, uh, I'm just curious because, again, we don't know if this might be people are the fact that the state's reopening, people may be going back to the office. But if there's another spike in infections, is this something if you have to work from home for a longer period of time, do you think you'll adjust, Melissa? I think so, yes. Um, I, I don't mind it, especially as we're moving into the warm weather. I kind of like working from home because of the flexibility, um, and, and my job, you know, hasn't really changed much my day-to-day. So working from home long-term is definitely something that, that I would be able to do, yes. Mm-hmm. Well, Melissa, thank you for sharing your experience here on Where We Live. We appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. You can. You can join us as we talk about work-life balance uh, for many Americans who are office workers who've had to adjust to working from home. Uh, and again, we want to hear from you uh, this hour. Uh, Kate, we got a, a comment on Facebook from Inez uh, who writes, people surveyed must not have little kids at home. We have a kindergartner home with us. We get no work done during the day between helping with schoolwork and then entertaining him. Uh, Inez, I can sympathize uh, with you. I also have little ones at home. Uh, Kate, so talk a little bit about how people that may have young children, it's a little bit of a different reality for them working from home. It is. And as I say, these are not normal times. And for that reason, it kind of surprised us how many people want to continue working from home. But I think they can separate, you know, normal times from what we're dealing with now. Um, In a typical uh, remote work agreement with a company, you wouldn't it wouldn't allow you to work at home if you had young kids at home that weren't attended by somebody else. But for a lot of people, you know, the flexibility of being there for the children and then working at, at other times of the day around them is, you know, actually a greater benefit than uh, the difficulty that's involved. Mm. Can you talk about some strategies that you recommend for uh, companies? Because again, there is that uh, time where people may feel burnt out. How do you work through some strategies that companies can use with their employees uh, to keep them motivated and productive? Yeah, and constant reminders. I think we're all over communicating at this point. (laughs) Uh, Speaking for myself, you know, five (laughs) Zoom meetings in a day is just too much. And so I think managers really have to be cognizant of that overworking. And and it's difficult because being able to flex your time as well as your place is just as important uh, to employees. So, you know, if I'm better at midnight, then I can work at midnight. Uh, But you really have to be careful that you don't send the wrong signals to your people. Just because I send you an email then doesn't mean that you have to respond to it. And so there really has to be this manager-employee understanding of, you know, these are your core hours and you know, you need to get your work done. We don't really care when you get it done, but, you know, we need to be available just at, at this time during the day. I know one woman that puts on a tiara with, with her children uh, at home, and when she's got the tiara on, that means she can't talk to mommy. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. We'll have to try that one. Uh, But thank you, Kate Lister, for joining us here on Where We Live. Again, she's president of Global Workplace Analytics. It's a research-based workplace consulting firm. Kate, thank you uh, for your time today. No, thank you. We heard from Steve uh, uh, from Meriden who wanted to raise the point that many home internet speeds are not very fast compared with many office building, which makes working from home more challenging. How's it been going for you working from home? We want to hear from you. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. We're going to talk more about 
uh, again, about working from home, also flex time and uh, how efficient it is and effective in keeping employees motivated and productive. You can join us as well. We hope to hear from you soon. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. If you work from home, has your company adopted flex time? Work when you can, as long as the work gets done? It sounds ideal, but how sustainable is it if you're responding to work at all hours of the day? We're going to be talking about that just in a, f- in a few minutes, but we want to hear from you too. How's remote work going? You can join us. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. Uh, Sherry tweeted at us, my dining room table is my workspace. I'm super productive. My day often begins at 6 a.m instead of nine with a shower before nine and walk breaks twice per day the work day flies by and i feel more connected than ever through zoom which i prefer over calls again you can join us find us on facebook and twitter at where we live uh, on zoom with us now is mara thomas a productivity expert who wrote a recent article for harvard business review uh, titled downside of flex time she's also author of several books including attention management mara welcome to our show thanks for having me lucy so tell us about the downside of flex time. You you wrote that employees were suddenly thrust unprepared into this unfamiliar work situation. Uh, how are you hearing companies adapt to everyone working from home? Companies are not really getting a choice about this flex time arrangement. When everyone got sent home to work, employers have no control over the situation at home. And if you've got kids to take care of during the day or other things going on, then you work when you can and your your boss has to deal with that. But as a result, everyone's working different hours. And so people are beginning to feel like they have to be checking in because who knows when who's gonna be on chat or on email or need to talk to me when, and so I have to have my communication channels open all the time and it's leading to some burnout. Hmm. That's interesting. I heard, we, we read that tweet from Sherry who said that she likes, she said she feels more connected than ever through Zoom. I was thinking with the way our team communicates on uh, Zoom calls, but also Slack and email. And sometimes we miss messages uh, between uh, our team uh, because we may be paying attention to one uh, uh, email and not checking Slack or vice versa. And so I think sometimes it, that can actually make things worse. Uh, <laughs> People need to be away from their communication channels at some times if they're going to get any important work done because you can't do, you know, the thoughtful work in two-minute increments. But companies should have a communication channel dedicated to this needs a timely response or this, if, if something is urgent, we will do this. But that should be the only way, and it probably should be phone or text because most of us after business hours still have our phone with us for whatever reason, checking the weather or listening mm-hmm. to a podcast or whatever we're doing. But if, but if you have to have all of your communication channels open all the time, then that can get challenging. When you mentioned phone and text, I would think you'd want to reserve those channels for when it's an emergency or something needs to happen quickly versus constantly calling your employees or texting them. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Before the pandemic, uh, we we know that 
talking about work-life balance has been something that's on the minds of many uh, Americans and workers. And so I'm wondering, uh, you know, what were some of the suggestions you had for companies or even heard from companies thinking about how to avoid burnout, but at the same time managing this work-life balance? The suggestion that I make in the article is for companies to create communication uh, communication hours in the organization, which is sort of like work hours if everybody was in the office, but uh, while we're working from home, like I said, you can't really control when people work. So I, I think business communication hours are relevant. Not that work can't happen outside of these hours, but you know, people should work whenever they need to work. But if you need to contact somebody, for example, you could email them, you could compose the email, but schedule the delivery to be sent during those communication hours, especially if you are the leader, because if you are the boss and you are emailing people at all hours of the day and night, people are going to feel like they need to respond no matter how many times you say, don't worry about this until the morning. So you've written about uh, banning uh, after hours emails, and that can actually improve communication? Well, it certainly improves work-life balance, Mm. because it's one thing to sign off at night and know that communication is happening, but you're going to, I'm just going to ignore it, I'm just going to ignore it, versus walking away (laughs) saying, I know if somebody needs me or if something happens, I'll get a call, and otherwise everything will be uh, everything will be halted until the morning and I understand that there are time zone differences and things like that but even e- even somebody across the world understands that they're emailing you in the middle of the night US time they know that and so we need to sort of take those expectations into consideration if we're going to feel like we can have any time away you mentioned work-life balance, but it's also important for employers uh, to consider these strategies, better communication, because it protects their culture. You don't want to lose a talent because they feel like they just can't get a break and work is all-consuming. That's exactly right. And, and that's exactly the problem with, these, with this work-from-home situation and this um, you know, so-called flex time, which I think we might have to have another another term for flex time because it used to be kind of this perk, but now it's not, it's really not something employees can control with everybody working from home. So it's, it's important to ensure that the culture doesn't promote burnout because that's, that's the situation in many organizations. You're hearing Mara Thomas on Zoom. She's a productivity expert and author of several books. Uh, she also recently wrote an article for Harvard Business Review called The Downside of Flex Time. Um, does your company use flex time? Have you felt that you cannot get a break from work uh, because you're working from home? We want to hear from you. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Susan shared this comment with us on Facebook. She writes, telecommuting is a true gift for an introvert or a worker who's distracted by noise in a fairly open office workspace. Having control of your physical environment leads to increased productivity and reduced stress. Amara, what do you think about her comment? Absolutely, control of your environment is shown in studies to improve happiness. We all like to feel like we have um, control over a variety of our, you know, our, our setup, our hours, our um, our communication channels. So I'm not surprised that she feels that way. And for people who work 
normally in an office with much less control, much less privacy, like those big open spaces that a lot of companies have moved to, it's not at all surprising that people are enjoying uh, less of that. We did reach out uh, to two Connecticut-based companies who have had work-from-home policies for some time, and that's Aetna and Cigna, uh, both declined to be on today's program. Uh, But I wanted to talk more about um, other ways that people can be productive. Maybe working at their house or in their apartment isn't the best for them. So uh, joining the, the conversation now is Anissa. Anissa is calling in from West Hartford, and she's part of a West Hartford co-working space. Anissa, welcome to our show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So co-working, I felt like that became really popular a couple of years ago. I'm just wondering with the pandemic, how have you seen uh, the people that have been coming in? How has it changed for you? Um, I would say in general, the the trend hasn't changed, but the Mm. reason uh, for the need has certainly shifted. Um, You know, co-working is certainly in the rise in major metros, um, and that has bled into, you know, uh, secondary and tertiary suburban markets. Um, but now uh, there's certainly a greater urgency. <laughs> we have uh, we have a, a really fantastic member base that has been, uh, you know, with us um, the entire time. Uh, but then also, um, you know, kind of coming back a little bit more as we've, we've been able to open more to non-essential businesses uh, with the various phases. But in the last two weeks or so, I've been getting um, certainly new inquiries, as, as is normal um, in, in pre-COVID times. But again, their tone of voice is certainly a lot more urgent. Um, many call um, with children in the background. Um, they're all, are you open? Um, I, I'd like to come in for the day. You know, can you, can you make an arrangement? Like, please, please, please. And we're happy to make that accommodation. Um, I mean, it's something we would normally do. Um, we are not fully staffed at the moment, so we, you know, definitely made accommodations for these folks to come in. Um, but it, you know, it is. It's, it's, there's a, a greater sense of urgency to escape the house in a way to, to find productivity when um, you have a lack of control, um, as you guys were speaking of, of your space mm-hmm. when you're kind of confined to it. That's interesting. You mentioned making accommodations. So because of social distancing, when people do come to the co-working space in West Hartford, are they wearing masks and there's a certain amount of distance between uh, where people are working, Anissa? Exactly. Yeah, there are special accommodations that sort of need to be made now. Um, You know, certainly a communication of the policies that we have in place. Um, In general, what we've done, we we had healthy workstations anyway. We were not um, on the trend of this sort of what's called bench co-working, uh, where you're essentially, you have a chair at a, a large table in an, in an open room. Um, we're at the very minimum, a desk based co-working facility. Um, but that's really because a lot of, um, you know, again, we're suburban based people have home offices. So why would they leave their beautiful home office with plenty of space to go and be crammed into, you know, a, a, another space. So, um, we were well set up for COVID uh, parameters already, but we have made additional accommodations, put up additional barriers, a little bit more spacing. And what we ask is, if they're roaming the open space, we have lounge area, kitchen, et cetera, uh, to please guess where they're masked. But when they are at their desk, again, parameters, ar- um, uh, partitions around them, they can take their, uh, you know, their mask off because they are a safe distance apart. Mm-hmm. Um, we have wellness stations with uh, hand sanitizers, et cetera. And we actually, um, today, I think, arriving are um, uh, air purifiers with UV, uh, UV lights mm-hmm. in them to, to help with air circulation. 
Well, Anissa, thank you for calling into the show. It sounds like you might get some more calls now. So we appreciate you telling us about your co-working space in West Hartford. And again, we want to hear from Connecticut residents who've been working from home full time over the last three months, how it's going for you. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. Uh, Eric's calling in. Eric, uh, tell us about your experience. Hey, thanks so much for uh, having me on. I it was uh, it was nice to hear Nissa's voice when I called in, and she's a friend of mine. I visited her space a few times. Um, it's, a, it's a great place; people should check it out. But um, so I've I feel like I've really learned a lot um, over the last few months about how to be more efficient uh, with my work. A lot of things that I had been doing, where I I work as a financial planner in West Hartford, I had a lot of people coming into my office and or going to visit people at their offices and realize that a lot of that's unnecessary. These Zoom calls are, are really fantastic, and I've had this capability for a long time, and I just haven't been taking advantage of it. So um, there's a kind of a silver lining to all this, that it really has taught me how to be a little bit more efficient. Um, mm-hmm. But I really find myself missing the decompression time um, mm-hmm. of just my drive in and my drive home. I have a one-year-old daughter at home, which is fantastic. And another great thing about this is when I get five minutes, I get to go upstairs and spend some time with her, which is fantastic. Um, but also, uh, there's something to be said. I, I actually live only a mile and a half from my office, but that mile and a half gives me five minutes to clear my head and kind of mm-hmm. reset. Um, and same thing going in, right? <laughs> um, you know, sometimes you, either, whether you have a great or a tough morning, you, you got to get in the zone. You got to get in, in work mode all of a sudden. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I've struggled a little bit not being able to have that separation. So part of me is mm-hmm. kind of missing the office and wanting to go back. Um, but uh, I think I'm, I'm more enjoying the, you know, the time that I get to be at home with my family and, and again, learning how to be a little bit more productive. Mm-hmm. Eric, stay on the line. I definitely want to ask you a few more questions before you go, but I wanted to bring back our guest, uh, Mara Thomas, again. I wonder if you could talk more about his points, very important point about decompression time. We may have taken those commutes for granted. We might have complained about traffic, but now <laughs> we don't have that time to be thinking about other things or just having quiet time or listening to something that we want to listen to that can actually help us be more productive once we get to work. Absolutely. Two things about that. Number one, I think that people should pay attention to that decompression time and what it tells you about how stressful your work environment might be because a lot of us don't realize how much stress we're under at work. And I understand that some stress can be good stress, but work stress is a real problem and it really leads to burnout. So it's a great thing to pay attention to. Second thing about that is physical activity is another way to decompress and it's a benefit that instead of driving perhaps in the morning people can start their work day by walking around the block weather permitting or um you know if you have a a space a garage or a basement or someplace that you can go to um just do a little bit of physical activity whether it's push-ups or jumping jacks or something to just sort of get you in that space for work and also to help you get Uh, get sort of out of the work mindset Um, but still but you can still have those those buffer times and take advantage of them Hmm. again you can join our conversation on where we live as we talk about work-life balance or find us on facebook and twitter at where we live eric you mentioned you have a a young uh, a baby at home Uh, i'm wondering how you could if you could talk a little bit more about what it's like uh, to balance personal life the fact that you have a young child what does your spouse do how often do you see each other 
Sure. So my wife, she's a nurse. She works at Connecticut Children's Medical Center. Um, uh, she actually works in the NICU. Um, and she works mostly overnight. So it, it does allow us to have opposite enough schedules that we're able to provide uh, you know, childcare without needing any outside services. And that's, that's nice. Um, and she doesn't, uh, it's not so much that it's like two ships passing in the night. We actually do get to see each other a little bit, which is, (laughs) which is really nice. Um, and yeah, it's, it's funny because obviously spending time with my daughter is probably my favorite thing to do. But when I just finish a work, I I work in my, uh, in the basement of my house and, um, you know, when I've just been working eight or nine or 10 hours or whatever, it's just going and going and going. And then I just click it off, uh, turn off the monitors, walk upstairs and hand it a child. It, it's like, I, I don't really appreciate it as much in that moment because I just mm-hmm. need to take a breath first. So, um, so it's been fantastic being able to have that time. Um, but the work-life balance is, it's, it's really starting to blend. And, um, I've, done a lot of just uh, in my personal life before having children to try to create um, some stuff that's like work-life integration where there's just fun things that happen to be useful for work as well and and vice versa um, but nowadays it's you know with, with with children I you know I'm very much appreciative of all the parents before that just kind of looked at me funny when I mentioned that um, so so yeah it's, it's been a it's been a, a new challenge for sure well, Eric, thank you for calling into the show and uh, good luck <laughs> over the next few months. Uh, when uh, we when this uh, state gets back to normal, hopefully, we don't know if that'll be later this year or next year. Uh, do you anticipate you'd prefer to be in the office having that separation between work and your home life? Yeah, I think because, because again, because I'm I'm lucky and my office is literally a mile and a half from my house. I can go home for lunch whenever I want. If I have a break in my day, I can I can still take advantage of that opportunity to go hang out with the family. So because of that, I probably will take advantage of the separation by by going back <laughs> into the office to kind of create the two different environments. But um, but I'll probably spend a couple of days a couple more days working from home, knowing that I can do it pretty well. Well, Eric, thanks again uh, for sharing your experience here on Where We Live. Uh, Edmund's in calling in from Mansfield. Edmund, I understand you work at Eastern Connecticut uh, State University. Uh, what's it been like for you, and what will the fall be like? Well, yes, this is, this is Edmund, and I do work at Eastern Connecticut State University. And uh, I'm calling you from my kitchen table, where I've been working a lot lately. Uh, it, 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 I've been working... Uh, more, it seems to me, uh, and and in terms of how Eastern is opening up, we have this hybrid plan that's going into effect in very late August, early September when the students are coming back. And indeed, at this point, we plan to have the students to come back, and then we're going to try to see how long uh, that holds up without people getting sick. And if people get sick, then we're going to go back to uh, that part of the hybrid plan that allows us to... Uh, teach online, which we did for the second half of last semester. So mm-hmm. it's been sort of, I'm, I'm, I'm planning for teaching my classes in the classroom and teaching my classes online. And I don't know which one is going to be the, be the one. And I'm afraid it might be both before, before all this is over. 
Mm. Well, Edmund, uh, thank you for sharing your experience. I uh, hope we can talk with you in the future when we talk very specifically about how uh, state universities are going to come up with a plan again uh, to serve uh, the students who are coming in this fall. But we appreciate you calling in. Amara, before we head to break, you know, I want to ask you, what are some guidelines? Because again, the future of work, when we think about um, working from home, may become uh, the reality for some time. It's not going to be a just a short few months, especially with the coronavirus still around us. So what are some guidelines that you would say companies need to really think about if this is more long-term? Communication guidelines are super important so that um, employees do feel like they have that opportunity to be away from their work communication and get some downtime. Also, it's really important, I think, for organizations and leaders to recognize that work from home situations are as different as employees, right? Some people live alone. Some people live with one or more adults in their home. Some people work um, with other adults and children. Some people might be single parents working from home. Some people might be caregivers to older parents and not just children, right? So there's this this huge variety of work from home situations. And so to try to say work from home is this or work from home does that or work from home offers this or that, it's really different based on the individual. And it's really important for leaders to recognize that. Well, Mara Thomas is going to stay with us uh, for our next segment. Again, she's a productivity expert and author of several books, including Attention Management. We wanted to hear from residents about how it's been going. Uh, Karthik is calling from Glastonbury. What's been your experience, Karthik? Well, mine's been a little different. Um, you know, I, we do deals for a living. I work in mergers and acquisitions. It's typical for our days to be 10, 12, day, 10, 12 hours a day. You know, that, that's a normal day. We have a national team. Working remotely has been immensely difficult. I feel like my team's added four or five hours to their everyday work day. Every five-minute, ten-minute conversation in the hallway has just now become a 30-minute meeting on Zoom. Uh, it's exhausting. You know, the team's been awake since five in the morning, and, you know, there's no stopping. And I recognize most of my team has young children. And, you know, it's been, it's been tough to balance that. And, and uh, my, my wife works as well. And, you know, she's got a demanding job as well. I almost feel, you know, disconnected. You know, I've got a young child in the back. And I can't offer that much help and constantly stress. Honestly, me and my team can't wait to go back to work. <laughs> Garthic, I'm with you. I understand where you're coming from. We appreciate your call here on Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We're going to continue the conversation after this short break. We want to talk more about how employers are keeping tabs on their employees working from home and what privacy rights do workers really have. You can join us too. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Uh, recently, NPR's Bobby Allen reported that the work from home boom has led to more companies surveilling their employees. Critics call these programs tattleware. 
For more on this, joining us now on Zoom is Alexandra Matescu, researcher at the nonprofit Independent Data and Society Research Institute, where she works on labor and technology issues. Alexandra, welcome to our show. Hi there. It's a pleasure to be speaking with you this morning. So often our conversations are focused on what's happening in the pandemic, how it's changing our lives. But even before the pandemic, Alexandra, can you talk about how companies have been keeping tabs on their employees using technology to see if they're actually working? Right. So there has been, as, as has been mentioned, a growing cottage industry of what's been uh, called essentially paddleware. Um, these kinds of tools aren't necessarily new. They were just less widely used. But many companies and employers are now seeing them as necessary for keeping tabs on employees. And there's a worry, I think, of what is going to get normalized in the long term. So this might range from something very overt, like a manager asking an employee working from home to have their computer cameras and their microphones on throughout the workday so that they're easily reachable and visible at all times during the workday. Um, or it might be something much uh, more like requiring employees to install software that um, records things like uh, an employee's keystrokes, their mouse movements, the exact uh, time they spend on specific applications, how many emails you wrote, and then these data may be uh, quantified into a number or a productivity score. Mm. That software you mentioned, NPR uh, reported on something called Time Doctor. It sounds similar to what you just described. It downloads videos of employees' screens while they work. It also can enable a computer's webcam to take a picture of the employee every 10 minutes. That sounds a bit much, Alexandra. Do you? In, are we also hearing that companies are more companies are actually interested in this type of uh, software, these te- this technology, now that so many more uh, people are working from home? Yeah, absolutely. And I think there are a lot of uh, privacy issues around this. The first Mm -hmm. thing being that there aren't really very many limits to it. Um, Employers aren't necessarily legally required to inform you on how software tools are tracking you. So there may not be a lot of transparency. Uh, Another issue is what is often called function creep, which is that data collected about employees for one purpose might eventually be used uh, for another purpose that was not originally intended. Um, And as has been mentioned earlier about, you know, the growth of flexible hours, there's the question of when uh, your employer, uh, when the tracking actually ends uh, within a workday. I talked with our other guest, Mara Thomas, about uh, how um, work-life balance and better communication impacts uh, the workplace culture. I can't imagine that uh, when employ- if employees don't know if their company's tracking them, how that really helps uh, with uh, trust issues and-, and wanting to work for a company uh, that is so intrusive. Absolutely. I mean, it's also a matter of, you know, having a place or a space that's unmonitored, whether it's communications between uh, colleagues where, you know, you need a space to be able to vent about an issue with a colleague or even, you know, organizing your workplace. Um, There's sort of that question, Um, but not just sort of beyond just the privacy Mm -hmm. issues that raise concerns. There's also instances where these kinds of tools may actually perpetuate inequalities within the workplace. Um, often unintentionally. Mm-hmm. At the same time, if you're working from home and you're using your employer's uh, company-issued laptop, uh, maybe that's not such a good idea to be <laughs> checking your bank account or going on Facebook. Uh, and so people just need to be smart about if they're working from home, You know, <laughs> maybe logging on your phone if you want to check in <laughs> on something that's more personal. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, particularly with screen tracking tools where, you know, you if you're checking your banking information or setting up a doctor's appointment or something like that, then that creates a lot of uh, issues. Mm. Mara Thomas is still with us here on Zoom, again, productivity expert and author of several books. Mara, what's your take on hearing that uh, more companies are interested in surveilling their employees working from home now? I think we have to consider that there are different kinds of organizations. There are um, professional services organizations where office staff have um, more independent jobs. And then there are sort of higher turnover um, types, maybe hourly employee types of jobs. And I think that there's a real difference between, hopefully, (laughs) between who is interested in that type of software. But I absolutely think that using that type of software without employee knowledge definitely erodes the culture because, as you mentioned, Lucy, there's a real trust issue. And without trust, you can't have a good culture. So I've seen organizations, though, use some of it successfully by introducing it and saying, here's an option. You can use it for yourself privately because it's, I think it's fair for people to want to know where does my time really go throughout the day. So you can use it yourself Mm -hmm. and then choose whether or not you share the data. And then is that data going to be taken by by the organization in aggregate or individually? And just to see usage, because it it can be helpful if you have um, somebody who's performing really well to say, well, you know, this is how their day goes. And maybe other people can adopt this if they're getting these great results. Or you can see valid things like, oh, maybe that new employee needs a little bit more training because she seems to be spending a lot of time on this screen or that screen or or whatever. But I think it's critical that employees know that they're computer use is being tracked. Alexandra, what do we know about uh, the use of this software? Does it make employees more productive? Well, I think one of the issue is one of the issues is that it may not actually be a good measure of quote unquote productivity. Um, as you know, many people have caregiving obligations and may only be able to work in small bursts of time throughout the day. So it may seem like you know, they're being erratic or they're leaving their computer often and they may get, you know, dinged for that. Um, these tools often may only quantify in terms of what actually can be measured and may devalue work that's important but less quantifiable mm-hmm. through data. There was a recent really great piece in the New York Times uh, from journalist Adam Satariano who subjected himself to one of these monitoring tools for three weeks. Um, and he received this daily uh, productivity metric. There was a percentage, and the metric consistently showed that he's, his productivity level was well below 50%. And when asked about that, it was he, he noted that a lot of the work that he was doing was not right in front of his computer. He was making phone calls, doing other non-computer work that wasn't being quantified. So these kinds of tools need to be taken with a grain of salt. Mm. And we just got a couple of minutes left, Alexandra. So what happens when office workers eventually return to the office? Could this digital supervision persist? Um, I mean, it could persist, partly because it often always has been a presence Mm -hmm. in many parts of the workplaces. Um, 
particularly there's there's been divides between um, uh, what are employees and what are contracted hourly workers where you know salaried employees often have much wider discretion over how they manage their time uh, but for hourly workers a lot of workers already are subjected to a lot of you know very granular tracking tools um, and there may be other sort of consequences if you have you know granular timekeeping tools that much might be much harsher about say shaving off uh, you know time that counts as paid working time um, even if people are continuing to work from home um, there's a lot of you know questions about what people's needs are with regards to technology um, and how these software companies are actually designing um, these tools um, so there needs to be an understanding that we're all living in difficult times i can't expect the same kinds of productivity even mm -hmm. if we you know return to quote unquote normalcy well, Alexander Matescu, thank you for joining us here on Where We Live. Again, she's a researcher at the Data and Society Research Institute. Alexandra, thank you. Thank you. Also with us uh, today on Where We Live, Mara Thomas, a productivity expert and author of several books, including Attention Management. Mara, thank you for joining us today. It was a pleasure to be here, Lucy. Thank you. Today's show produced by Tess Terrible on the phones today, Carmen Baskoff. Did you know you can listen to Where We Live anytime? Just download us on your favorite podcast app. We know you need to work between 9 and 10. Another great way to listen to the show anytime. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. As always, thanks for listening. <laughs>